0: Uh, We're going to come to the book of Acts again, and uh, as I said last week, the more I look at the book, the more I study it, the more I find, and the more I'm blessed, and so I trust that with what I am sharing, that in some way that you're being blessed as well. If you were here last week, you remember that we were in Acts chapter 5, and we covered the part that shows where Ananias and Sapphira had lied to Peter, and thus to the Holy Spirit. And uh, they were both zapped, lost their lives, and buried. And we moved on to verses 12 to 16, where it records about many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. And so today we come to Acts 5 again, and verses 17 to 18 to start with, where it says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles, and put them in the public prison. And as I read that, looking back over what had happened already with these apostles I thought and wondered how would we react or how would we feel if what happened to them was actually happening to us today so we need to remember that what has been happening here has happened since the healing of the lame man in Acts chapter 3 and the contribution that the gospel was making into this society was positive. And history records the positive influence of the gospel and uh, the influence has had on society throughout the ages. We can think of those that stood up against slavery. So many other different things that were all because of men who believed the word of God. And yet, despite all of the positive influences that have come across into society through the gospel, we still discover that yet a majority still choose to spurn it, they choose to reject it, and they still even choose to ridicule the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever it was that the apostles seemed to do in obedience to the Great Commission, so far, it seemed to have led them getting into trouble. And Jesus, knowing all things, had pre-warned them. He had said to them before he left them, he said, in the world you will have tribulation. But then he said to them, take heart, because I have overcome the world. In John 16, 33. And those were the very last words, really, that were recorded in the dialogue that Jesus had with the disciples before we get to John 17, where we have the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. And when you look through those chapters of John's Gospel, 14, 15, and 16, they are probably the most important things that Jesus spoke to his disciples in all the time that he spent with them, because they were not only words that were preparing the disciples for the imminent arrest and death of Jesus, but they were words that were important to help them for all that they would face as they began to preach The name of Jesus. Consider from chapter 15 of John's Gospel. Verses 18 to 21. This is what Jesus told the disciples. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Notice, I emphasized it there. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And then at the end of it, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. And so going back to Acts chapter 3, all of this that is going on with the disciples is stemmed from the fact of the account of the name of Jesus. Silver and gold have we none but such as I have or we have we give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. <laughs> and so the disciples were seeing all that Jesus had prewarned them already coming to pass. We discover again now in the verses that I've read this evening <laughs> from Acts 5 that the troublemakers here are some of the same ones as before. It says it's the high priest and the party of the Sadducees. But what we will see as we get further into the book of Acts, so far in this story that we're going through, the enemies of the gospel at this point are actually quite mild compared to what is yet going to happen over the next few chapters as we get to them in the future. But here in Acts 5, 17 to 18, we find the apostles, they are arrested and they are put into the public prison. And then we find, if you read on, it says what the reason was beyond, behind the troublemakers. It says that they were filled with jealousy. And I had to stop and think about that. The high priests, And the party of the Sadducees, they were stirring up all of this trouble, not just on account of the name of Jesus, but because they were filled with jealousy. Not just a little jealous, they were filled with jealousy. See, what we discover here is that the high priests, the Sadducees, and those that have joined with them They were the ones that should have been pulling the crowds. They are the ones that should have been getting the attention. They should have been capturing the hearts and the minds of the Jewish people. And to themselves they would be thinking, it shouldn't be these ordinary, uneducated, common men, as they called them in Acts chapter 4 verse 13. And so what sparked the jealousy Within them, well, I suggest that this which which sparked the jealousy was that which was being done in and through the name of Jesus, the name of the one whom they had rejected. Of course, we know today they still reject Jesus. Remember verses 14 to 16, and more than ever And the parties of the Sadducees, they were jealous concerning the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit as he worked through these common and educated men. And jealous that they were drawing a great crowd and jealous over the number of their disciples increasing at a fast rate. And jealousy is a terrible characteristic. Although it is not listed amongst the seven deadly sins, it is very similar to that of envy. And it means feeling resentment against someone because of that person's rivalry, success or advantages. And the high priests and the Sadducees, they were envious of the disciples. And to me, the most obvious answer would have been to have come to faith and be added themselves to their numbers. But no, instead, they acted with jealousy and threw them into prison. But just jumping ahead into Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, there is some good news, because there it says, And the word of God continued to increase, And the numbers of the disciples multiplied, multiplying again, as we saw last week, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And this is the good news, it says, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So eventually the hearts of some of them were turned, and they turned to Jesus and we ourselves thinking of jealousy should never allow jealousy to grow in our lives and for example we could see what is going on in a church down the road we may see the size of their choir or the size of their worship group that the ministry has we may see the numbers that they're drawing each week and we could make a long list of things that we could see going on somewhere else and What we need to do is not to get jealous in any way of what is going on somewhere else, but we need to concentrate on is what, not they are doing, but what is it that God is wanting us to do where we are. And so many can get so wrapped up with the ministry of what's going on in some other church, some other denomination, some other place, some other church in the local community... When what is more important is to be asking, what is it that God is asking of me to do in the place where he has set me? And I've often heard conversations over the size of churches. And what I believe is the important factor is not so much the numbers, but it is the quality of what is being taught in the church and the quality of the spiritual lives of those who are attending a particular church. And the Apostle Paul had to deal with the spirit of jealousy. In 1 Corinthians 1, we read, there was a battle of what I'm going to call, follow the leader. It says in this chapter, one says, I follow Paul. Another one says, I follow Apollos. Another one says, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. But thankfully, there were some that said, I follow Christ. And that's what counts. That's what matters. And then in chapter 3 of the same book, 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses it, saying this. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, "I follow Paul," and another, "I follow Apollos," are you not being merely human? He's asking a very sound question, a very important question. But then he answers with this: "What then is Apollos? What then is Paul?" And he gives them the answer: "Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each." I planted. Apollos watered, But God gave the growth. That's what matters. God giving the growth. So neither he who plants. Nor he who waters is anything. But only God. Who gives the growth. Does it remind us of the song we sung so much? All the praise. All the glory. All the honour. It goes to no man. But it goes to Jesus. For he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And may God save us from a jealous spirit and keep us walking along with and working in step with the Holy Spirit. It is all about doing what we are called to do. In the overall project that Jesus said that he would do, and that was to build his church, and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And in this great church building project, and what a project, it's been going on for 2,000 years. We do not know, we won't know until we get to heaven, how many millions of billions have been added to the church. We read of the numbers in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4 of them being added and being added and being multiplied. And as the gospel has gone from Jerusalem and into Judea and into Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world, it's continued to be multiplied. Many have been added into the church which Jesus is building. And in his building project, there is more than ample room for both the big churches and the small churches. See, being a farmer's son, I can verify that not every farmer has a mega farm consisting of thousands of acres. Some do, but they are actually a minority. Many have just a few hundred, or maybe even smaller, between 1 to 50 acres. But regardless of the acreage, the farmers with the big farms, the fo- small farms, are busy doing the essential things every day to manage their farms <laughs> and not one farmer. the big farmer or the small farmer is more important than another. Farmers is who they are, and farmer farming is what they are about, regardless of the size and regardless Of the number of sheep. And I think that that is one of the reasons. Why the Bible illustrates us as sheep. And there are big sheep folds. And there are small sheep folds. And each happens as one plants. And as another waters. But it is God who gives the growth. But of course I must add. We should always be seeking growth. A farmer never wants his sheep. To remain a stagnant number. He wants them to multiply. He wants to build up the flock. He wants the number of his flock to increase. And so it is in the church as well. We should be seeking growth. Both numerically and spiritually. And the good news is. If it means that we can move into a bigger and better premises. Well again. It's all to the glory of God. Because it's his work that we are involved with and each one of us should first be looking at what we are doing as individuals in sharing the gospel for our own personal witness must be our priority because we spend more time away from the fellowship of the church than we actually do in it and when we do anything that is proactive in regard to opportunity to presenting the gospel we must play our part in seeking to encourage folk to come along. So back to the text, the jealousy of the high priest and the Sadducees. Well, it led to the apostles being thrown in prison. Well, this time, you can imagine them saying, we'll stop them. We'll stop them. But no one or anything, we need to remember is a match for the power of God. Whatever forces the enemy brings against the church, there is no one, there is nothing that is a match for the power of God. For the narrative continues, after they had thrown them into prison, that during the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Wow, what an experience that must have been. Imagine the apostles in their cell. I don't know whether they were chained on this occasion or not. Didn't matter, because the same angel that can unlock prison doors can unlock a chase. But the angel came, unlocked the doors, and brought the apostles out. Now, we could ask the question who was this angel called the angel? Of the Lord. Well, I think he was exactly what Scripture says, an angel. There are occasions in Scripture where the visit of an angel is considered to be what we call a theophany. It's where Jesus has appeared in a pre-incarnate form. But here I believe it is exactly what Scripture says, similar to what we read when an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds to announce the news that Jesus had been born. And so this angel came down to firstly open the prison door and then secondly to lead the apostles out. And you can imagine how they must have felt having been arrested and imprisoned by the jealous authorities. And suddenly the prison doors are opened. The angel tells them to come, takes them out. But then there's more to his mission because the angel then tells the apostles what it is that they next got to do. And it's in verse 20. Go and stand out in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, in the English Standard Version, I didn't check in the other translations, but in the English Standard Version, the word life is with a capital L. It's all about Jesus. The words of this life. And it says, And the apostles went, and at daybreak they entered the temple. Imagine this instruction. They've been thrown into prison because they've been talking about Jesus. So imagine as this instruction comes to go out and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Imagine the courage they would need to follow it through. For it was as a result of what had happened outside the temple and then later in the temple that it aroused the anger of the authorities in the first place. Dare we do it again? But they went in Obedience. See, this life, capital L again, had so captivated them that nothing, absolutely nothing, was going to deter them from speaking out about the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, the authorities would very quickly discover they were not in prison. How had they escaped? And verse 21 to 26 tells us what happened. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? The doors were locked. And yet the angel had led them out. And the guards were still standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. That's the power of God. Wow. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Well, the apostles had done what they were told to do. They had gone and they began to preach, but now they were going to be brought before the council. And this is the charge made to them. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter replied, We must obey God rather than man. And the apostles already stated this in Acts chapter 4. But since then the angel of the Lord had sent them to speak in the temple all the words of this life. So it was as far as the apostles were concerned Another golden opportunity to speak about Jesus. And so, in their defence, they speak of Jesus again. They just can't stop themselves. They just speak about Jesus again. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. And so the next cluster of verses are well known, for as they deliberate what to deliberate with, what to do with the apostles, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, speaks to them: "Men of Israel, take care." So warning to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thordis wrote out, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. you might even be found opposing God. Thank God for someone with some knowledge and wisdom. And thank God that they weren't overthrown. God's not been overthrown. And 2,000 years later, the church is still being added to. And so, this wise, wise advice, the jealous leaders heeded. But... In heeding the wise advice, there was a sting in the tail, for they called the apostles and they gave them a beating and charged them yet again not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the disciples, the apostles, they decided that enough was enough and they gave Wouldn't it be a tragedy if that was the case? Wouldn't it have been a tragedy if that had been the case? But now listen to what we're told in verses 41 to 42. After being given a beating and being told not to speak in the name of Jesus and being let go, it says they left the presence of the council rejoicing. This to me is amazing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor For the name. It's all about the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Mm. Nothing was going to stop them. Surely, even by just getting to this point, the end of the fifth chapter, we can see how no one, no threats, no beatings, absolutely nothing would silence them. They actually rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And this takes me back to where I started to remember the words that Jesus told them before he went to the cross. But all these things... They will do to you on account of my name. Do you remember another famous verse, 42, in Acts? Anyone remember? Well, it's in chapter 2. I've just read 42 from chapter 5. They left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. But in Acts 2.42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Well, we don't know how long separated these two verse 42s. But what we do know is that things that happened to the apostles through the activity of those who were enemies of the gospel, but it didn't deter their devotion to Christ. It mm. didn't matter whether they beat them. It didn't matter whether they put them in prison. It didn't matter if they forbade them to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. It didn't deter them, not a single scrap, the devotion to Christ and the devotion to teaching and preaching continued without any abate whatsoever. So, to conclude, I've taken a number of weeks to cover what I initially intended to share from Acts 3 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Philippians 2, 9-11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So concerning the name of Jesus, I must close with a hymn. Name of Jesus, highest name. Name that earth and heaven adore. From the heart of God it came. Leads me to God's heart once more. Name of Jesus, living tide. Days of drought for me are past. How much more than satisfied are the thirsty lips at last. Name of Jesus, dearest name. Bread of heaven and balm of love. Oil of gladness surest claim. Tis to the treasures stored above. Only Jesus. Fairest name. Life and rest and peace and bliss. Jesus evermore the same. He is mine. And I am his. Oh, how I love the Saviour's name. And may we love the name of Jesus in such a way that no one nor nothing will ever silence us of speaking about him. Amen.